Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. This podcast is produced wholly by me. There is no behind-the-scenes producer or editor. It's not connected to any network or any sponsors. It's free for you to listen. Always will be, but if you see the value in the Gig Life Podcast, you can leave a tip or a donation. You can find a link in the show notes on your podcast app or at thegiglifepodcast.com. Every little bit goes back into the making of these podcast episodes. As always, you can subscribe to the podcast in your app and catch up on all the other 100 plus episodes and also everything that's coming up. Okay, well, my guest today is Paul Christie. Paul is the bass player for iconic Australian band Mondo Rock. And in the 80s, Paul also founded the Australian supergroup The Party Boys, which, let's say, has a floating membership of musicians with the likes of Kevin Borich, Joe Walsh, Mark Hunter, James Rain, Swanee, Richard Harvey, just to name a few. So this is episode 125, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mr. Paul Christie. I think we're rolling. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast, Paul Christie. How you doing, man? Hello. How's Good to meet you, Stevie. Yeah, and you, Paul. Um, first up, uh, I want to apologize and also thank you for your patience because we had this booked in um, about a month ago and the very night that we were supposed to do this, um, I had to go into two-week isolation quarantine because one of my workmates um, got COVID, so oh God, yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> and, and, and you you sent me a message the next day saying, "Hey, man, I think we missed the meeting," and I'm like, "Oh fuck, <laughs> shit! I'm I'm in quarantine land." You know, I had to set up a little oh, room down the bottom of my house, and yeah, it was it, it sucked. <laughs> so I appreciate your patience, and here we are. That's all right. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk music. Okay, we'll do that. Um. Now that things are uh, opened up uh, now, have you got plans? Because you, you're, you currently, you're pl- currently playing with Mondo Rock. I have been for yeah. about 40 years. Yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. Okay. Yeah. I, I, um, I, like I know, we'll talk a little bit more about the sort of history of that. I, I, like I know you left at one stage and um, you know, did the Party Boy stuff and that kind of thing. Um, what have you sort of got coming up? Uh, in the near future now that we've got, you know, the green light to start gigging in, in, in a sense, I suppose? Well, I don't want to sound cynical, but I believe it when I, I believe it when I see it. Okay. Because um, since all this started, uh, not March of this year, the year before, yep. Rondo Rock was on the verge. I, I was walking out the door with flight cases and luggage to commence a National Theatre Tour, and, and I just made it to the garage and our manager rang and said, hey, PC, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just about to get in the car and go to the airport. He said, look, I can't tell you any other way we can't go. Mm. And so that was that was really quite shattering for all of us because we hadn't played for a while and we were looking forward to doing it. So then, that's, then another opportunity came up and then that got uh, for Christmas of this year and then that got blown out of the park. Mm. 
and uh, and so it's going on and on. Okay. So it's it's a, a tricky one because Mondo's like um, we've known each other for a very long time, and we've done stuff, and you know we've played overseas and done you know just normal stuff that bands would do, and mm. and. and <clears throat> We're kind of like a band of brothers that kind of argues all the time, but um, when we get out and we do our thing, we, we do it as best we can, and and it's still an enjoyable family to be involved with, you know, because all the guys are really quite smart. The um, uh, the drummer, Kerry Jacobson, who was in Dragon, yeah. he now is a senior teacher uh, or lecturer, but I think teacher. He's, he, he's at, at the high school that I went to in Brisbane. Right. And that, which is a little bit ironic, and we and yeah. we were scheduled. Mondo Rock was going to play a performance in the big theatre that they built um, with a big. I think it's got a big Clare Brothers sound system in it, and and then then that got cancelled. So I was going to go back to school, see some kids I went to school with, and possibly see a couple of the teachers and and give a speech, and we were going to play, and then play in Brisbane the next night. So that fell over. So so Kerry's plays drums. Kerry Jacobson, from, who was originally in Dragon, myself on bass, and we've got um, uh, Eric McCusker, the original member mm-hmm. on guitar, and then we've got uh, James Black and Ross Wilson. So it's, it's kind of like the original mm-hmm. original um, chemistry era lineup. There was one lineup of Wondai Rock before that, where that Ross had all Melbourne based players, yep. and then he made one album, but then he wanted to change that lineup. Right. And that's when he recruited Eric and myself and James Black on keyboards and uh, Kerry, I think, was the – I'm trying to remember who the first drummer was. I don't think it was – it was Kerry and then uh, – and Ross. So that was it, yeah. So there's been – there's been quite a few members of Mondo Rock, but this one has has been together for the longest, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how have you kept yourself busy? When Mondo Rock's not playing, yeah, especially well, yeah, especially through this long, yeah, this long sort of music downtime. Well, I've I've endured the fate of everyone else, and the same as everyone else, mm. and that we had um, we had lockdowns, and we we couldn't go outside, and we couldn't do this, couldn't do that. So um, many years ago, uh, the father of my godchildren asked me to come and help him with his uh, landscape maintenance business. He said, I've got so much work on so I helped him for a week. And I really enjoyed being outdoors and getting the exercise. And so I helped him for about a week or 10 days and, and uh, he was laughing, watching me go, now, 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 like a Formula One mower. <laughs> and, and he said, he said, PC, have a rest. I said, no, I like going this fast. So what happened was I then decided I'm going to go to garage sales and buy a whippersnapper, a blower, a mower, and a lot of tools. And yeah. I drove up the hill up to, to French's Forest or somewhere up there and I met this American family uh, moving back to America and he sold me all exactly that stuff for about 120 bucks. Sweet. Saved, saved me thousands of dollars. Yeah. And I said, I'm really happy about this. It's going to a good home. And so, and then I just put, started putting an ad in the Manly Daily and people were ringing in and I got customers I've got some regular, I don't have a lot of customers. I have regular customers that I enjoy doing work for because I like them. And there's quite a few elderly people and and um, 
it's uh, it's been good because it's been very frustrating not being able to play even locally because I've got a couple of Sydney local bands of mine, uh, the Big Daddies and Rock House, mm. and I and I was doing a lot of uh, corporate work, mm. uh, going up to Queensland and playing the big events and and doing all sorts of stuff with a really great band and but all of that's just stopped. Yeah. It just just stopped dead, and it hasn't really started again um, as yet. So it's been a long, a long, long wait from from March of not this year, but so uh, March is two thousand twenty one. March of two thousand and twenty to March of two thousand and twenty one, and soon it'll be March of two thousand and twenty two. Yeah. But I think we'll be playing. Uh, I I believe it when I see it. I'm not a cynic, but anything can happen between now and then. But I'm looking forward to playing again shortly. Yeah. 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 And uh, I think I think Mondo Rock will. Next year, Mondo Rock will, out, will get out and do things. Yep. Um, and so will um, my bands, my, my, my sort of local bands. But, but, but I bring in all my mates from, from all over the place and we have these, these great shows and we play for like three hours. <laughs> it's just great, you know. So I've done that for many years through the 90s into the, into the early 2000s. When I, when I got back from living in New York, Mm-hmm. I started doing that in, in 1998. I started running my own shows, and uh, uh, yeah, had all, all our friends had Thorpey, Caddy, Shorrock, Doug Parkinson, all sorts of people got up, and, and Ross came up and the, the, had the two guitar players from the Angels. They played with us, and we did lots of really great, great sort of fun shows. Yeah, yeah. That's and John nice. Stevens, John Stevens did a version of Many Rivers to Cross. Oh, right. That, that's that's Sam Cooks. I think it's Cook, a Sam yeah. Cook song. Yep. And and uh, he he just was in that moment, and he he wasn't being John Stevens. He was he was being Sam Cook. Mm-hmm. And there was about three or three hundred, nearly four hundred people in this Palm Beach Golf Club. And it it the place just went absolutely deathly still, just watching the band and him sing that. And it and it it was really an incredible moment. And and I'm very fortunate to have had to have experienced quite a number of moments like that, and it makes it all worthwhile, you know. That's so incredible. I love music. My parents were very musical, both of them. Yep. They're fantastic keyboard players, and and mum was uh, a mum was like um, an American session player called Cornell Dupre who yep. played guitar. Yeah, I know Cornell. Yep, and and those guys, those um, soul brother session players on guitar, just had this right hand. Rhythm and it was just like it was just relaxed like this, and she could play the ukulele like that, and she would play like two or three strums, and she, and everybody sitting around or at a party at our place would start nodding their head, <laughs> and 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 she it was like Gurumul when Gurumul walked out on stage, you know he had everybody before he even opened his mouth, yeah, and Mum was a bit the same, so that you know I grew up with that. With that gene in me, and my father could play anything on piano by ear. He could play Jerry Lee Lewis. He could play anything, and uh, he didn't really even know. He just knew that it sounded right. You know? yeah. And my sister's got six tertiary degrees in music, <laughs> and never plays a note. Is that right? She never plays a note. Right. Whenever I, you know, not so not so very often visit her in Townsville, I make her sit down at the piano and I say, "Come on, just play something." You know. Yeah. And it's it's so it's 
that family structure and the way it came out is, is so unusual that she's so highly trained and I never, I, I did have music lessons at school, but um, that was in the days when the teachers hit you over the hand with, with a ruler if you made a mistake. And I, thought, I said, Miss Hoskins, this has got nothing to do with music and don't hit me again. <laughs> and um, and she, then she hit me with, with the metal strip in the ruler across my knuckles and her hands were on the piano and I got the lid and I just, just <laughs> put the lid down on her hands. And boy, didn't that cause some serious grief. Right. <laughs> and if my father wasn't voluntarily building the, the filtration system for the new 50-meter pool that they put in, I would never have stayed on at that school. I, they just would have fired me out the door. <laughs> but I, Miss Hoskins thought it might be a good idea if someone else taught me. <laughs> you think? <laughs> But I, was, I thought that's the stupidest thing you ever do is to, you know, smash a kid's hands with a yeah. steel-edged ruler, yeah. you know. Yeah, so but anyway, I got through that. Yeah, and then, so, uh, so you, sorry, did, so you started, you started on piano, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think because I, I didn't like the, the, the high school, I wanted to go to the state school, which was next door to our house right. where, where all my friends from primary school went. I wanted to get, go to high school with them, and they sent me this private school. It was just, oh, it just didn't work for me. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it, it sort of, it, it definitely kind of slowed my my verve and interest in life going to that school. Like I just, you know, I couldn't wait for that bell to ring in the afternoon. I'd be gone. Yeah. And uh, so... Um, the, the only thing that I took away from because it was a German, it was a Lutheran school, you know, and it had people, it did have kids from all over the world stay there. So I met a lot of kids from the Pacific Islands, and which I would not, not normally have happened. And my best friend at school was a New Guinea Chimbu native whose family were still absolutely active, confirmed headhunters and cannibals. This is true. I believe and, you. I believe but, you. But what happened? But what happened is the <laughs> the um, the Lutheran missionaries said and they gave him a name, George. I think it was or, no, Eric. Sorry, Eric. And I said, "Come on, Eric. We're going to send you to this school, and we're going to, you know, basically they say education, educate you in in the world of the of the white man, you know." <laughs> and uh, so he became my best friend, and we both discovered Jimi Hendrix together, and he could sing. Um, without thinking about it, and I was impressed with that. Yep. So it was an interesting journey, and I, and a lot of stuff happened, and you know, and uh, I fell in love with the English teacher, Miss Hardy, who mm. looked like Jilson, Jilson John, but she was prettier and had bigger tits. <laughs> and uh, I loved Miss Hardy; she had flaming red hair and a little ginger hair and green eyes. Oh my god! <laughs> we were all, all the boys in English. We'd all shuffle down the front, you know. Yes. And that was Miss Hardy. She was wonderful. Yeah. But I was glad to leave that school. And then shortly after that, I did some stuff around Brisbane and I bought an ex-police panel van, panel van and that sort of Queensland police sort of pale blue slash greyish look. And, and I'd worked in Brisbane a little bit and I hadn't played music, but I was, I was wanting to get to Sydney to, to, to get involved or to be in this, to be able to go and see music all the time. So 
I drove down and I, I slept in the panel van in a friend's front yard for a while and then and then just sort of moved around in circles and then my best friend from from forever when I was very young was one of the brothers that started Jan's Concert Sound and uh, he said, come on, PC, come out to the factory. He said, come and work with us. And so that was the real start of in Sydney for me because I got to do, I got to, I learned how to build um, what quite, those sort of uh, Tyco Bray style twin 15 horn and tweeters uh, composite boxes for PAs where you'd stack 20 of them aside. Mm. And I learned how to build those. And then I went out um, on the road in that green international truck that was so famous. And I and I did these tours. I, I, I did a tour with, um, two tours I think with Gary Glitter. I did a tour with Elton John and uh, uh, Status Quo, Chris Christopherson. I did all these tours. Mm. And I thought, yeah, well, this is, this is what I've always dreamed about doing, but I'm learning it from the other side, yeah, which yeah. was very, very beneficial. Because right. it, it, it taught me in the early parts of my life, it's very important not to be a tool, <laughs> yeah. not to be a twerp, not to be a dickwit, yeah. you know, just like just be nice to people and talk conversations like I'm having with you. Mm. And uh, and so that was really incredibly beneficial. And I got to do two of the Sunbury outdoor festivals in outside of Melbourne and I got to stand side of stage right next to John Lord's oh, uh, Hammond yeah. Leslie cabinets when Deep Purple were playing. Yeah. And I'd never heard anything like it. Yeah. I mean, every time he hit it, 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 it was like, a 747 taking off, you know. Yeah. And then the next year, Queen came came out and played and their lighting guy was like piddling around, adjusting lights and he's like desperately stalling to, to wait for the sun to go down so they, oh. so they could use the lights, you know. Yeah, right. and, uh, and everyone was just yelling at them and then Freddie came out and they all boo. <laughs> was like, it was like a bit of a disaster, that one. Right. <laughs> but they were great. They were fantastic, yeah. and Deep Purple were fantastic, and all the Aussie bands were great. Um, you know, I saw the Dingoes and, and Thorpey with like you know, you know, twenty guitar amps on stage and stuff. And I was, and I was a young boy, and I was thinking, this is great. Yeah. I'm loving this. You know, yeah. so I was very grateful that I started like that, and then I bought a bass and still working at Jans and. Tim Partridge, one of the yeah, greatest yep. bass players in this country, along with Harry, Harry Bruce. They, they, Tim particularly took me under his wing and set my bass up and I used to go and see him play at the club at the top of the cross under the Coca-Cola song, Polaris Room, yeah, mm-hmm. and with him and Russell Dunlop and all those guys and Mark Punch, those incredible players, and I learned a lot from watching that band and playing mm-hmm. and I sort of took that that stuff with me and 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 then another bass player called Phil Lawson set my bass up for me and made it quite difficult to play but he said that's the best way you've got to get your hands strong and no, I, was, I was very young and I was moving in all these circles with these guys and you know I was just just being young and inquisitive and they didn't mind that you know mm-hmm. they, they, they'd been around for a long time those guys and, and they were very helpful and particularly Tim, Tim Patches and Harry and Phil Lawson, and they were always very sort of kind to me. 
and I'll never forget that. That was great. Can I ask you why bass? It's got two less strings. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a truthful answer. Fair, fair enough. Yep, yep. And, and, and that's, that's why, because I found six strings on the guitar because I, I got taught a bit on piano, but I didn't get taught on guitar. Okay. It was a little bit, it was bamboozling me. But I had a natural kind of rhythm. Rhythm, yeah. And, and when I started playing bass, you know, and, you know, and uh, I felt quite comfortable doing that. So I just kept kept doing it. I've never had a five or six, five or six string bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm pretty good on fretless bass. I played a lot of fretless bass in Mondo. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I, I just I just recently bought my first fretless bass. Yeah, and that was that was my uh, that was my lockdown purchase. <laughs> there you go. My first fretless bass. I mean, I've I've had my jazz bass for years, and because I played drums and guitar too, but yeah, always wanted that fretless bass. And yeah, I was listening to I was listening to Mondo Rock today, listening to your fretless playing. And, yeah, um, yeah, it's great. Is that was that from the live album that you're no, listening no. to that we from Chemistry? From Chemistry, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. The live the live album um, that you can that you can stream on iTunes. Okay, um, called I think it's called the Summer of '81. But just it'll it's, if you just go Monday Rock, it'll come up. It's a it, we released as a double double live coloured vinyl album that was quite expensive to manufacture. It cost like seventy bucks or something, and right. uh, and it went in. It went to number eight or something like that on the chart, or number four, I think the, the record company guy said. And we were about to go on tour, and of course, then said, "No, no, can't go. Go back home. Lock yourself in." So, <laughs> oh, here it is. Was, yeah, I found it. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you if you um, if you select chemistry yep. and pl- and play that okay. just for like. Uh, about 90 seconds. Okay, let's do that. Off you go. Let her rip. Australian-made Mate. Maiden, yep. Yep, and it was serial number 001. It was the first, it was a prototype of that model, which I've kind of been searching for for a few years. I, I, I sold it to a shop in uh, Parramatta Road near the city, yep. and the base centre, And because I just after Monday I just wasn't using it. And uh, 
And so uh, I tracked it down to, to someone knew where it went, but I've never actually had it in my hands. But just recently, I got back my Maiden fretted bass, four-string fretted bass that I used on all the other live tracks on that record and all the albums. Wow. Um, which, which I'd sold to buy something else, you know, like the latest thing. Yeah. But I realised I couldn't get that mono rock sound yep. with any other bass. So I started putting a notes or posts in the Facebook maiden pages. Yep. And then one day this, this bloke rang up and he said, hey, Paul, that's Dave. He said, um, I've got your maiden bass, serial number 303. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. And he, and he said, no. He says, Oh, and I was like almost dumbstruck. And I said, look, I've just arrived at my godchildren's place at, at Kayama and I said, I've got your number. Can I call you straight back once I've checked in and seen the kids? And I said, because they're all jumping up and down, they want to see me. And I said, but this is extraordinary news. So I rang um, my friend Greg. I can never pronounce his surname. It's T-C-H-E-N-Z, Greg Tench or something like that. Who, who knows more about Maiden than Maiden does? <laughs> and I said, I said, Gregor, I said, I found the fretted JB4 that that Maiden actually gifted me along with the, with the, uh, the fretless. And he said, he says, you're kidding. I said, yeah, three hundred three, serial number three hundred three. And he went, oh my god. So he said, whatever you do, don't ask him how much. Yeah. I said, okay. He said, just just ask this this <laughs> this. This very kind bloke for ringing you. He said, "What would it take to get three hundred three back home?" And that was what I asked him. And then he said, "So much." And I said, "Okay." So I transferred in the money, and he posted it down. And I, I played just about every second day. I play along to that live album. Yeah. Because I've got the, I've got a piece of technology. I'll show you actually. This thing here. I'll see if I can get it on the screen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now I'll get the reflection off it. There we go. Oh yeah. So. That there is a Tascam bass trainer. Bass trainer, right. And what you do is you put the original track in yep. and you can plug your bass in and play along with it, but you can take the original bass out of the out track. Out of it, right, right. With this controller here. That's cool. And you can you can very speed it up and down. So so I can play along with that live album with, with, with me taken out of it, but me put back into it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's good fun. Because when Mondo Rock goes and tours or plays, you know, I've got to spend about like four, three or four weeks just playing the Revitar just about every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's it's not it's not it's, three chord rock. That's it. Yeah. You know, it's 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 tricky. Yeah. And you know, I've never claimed to be a great singer, but I but I do have to sing parts. And that is a little bit unnatural for me. I'm sort of getting better with it. And uh uh, in other bands that aren't so strictly structured outside of Mondo Rock in my fun bands and stuff, it's much easier for me to sing as well. Gotcha. Yeah, we're just going sort of over the top and feral and bashing away and having a great time. But uh, yeah. Mondo is, is complex music and you can't just kind of pick it up, you know. Right. It's not, it's not like um, just three-chord rock. It's, it's, um, sometimes it's like torturously complex. <laughs> but that's but people like that, you know. Yeah. So, you know, but it's nothing like it's not like being in a yes. 
Right. Or, <laughs> That's or right. Weather, weather Report, you're not quite. A weather Report, yeah. oh, my yep. favourite ever band. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. 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 Well, what's that band? What band is a Rush? It's not like Rush. Rush. Yep. It's, it, it's also complicated. Yeah. We, we opened for, uh, when I was in the Kevin Bush Express, we did this sort of kind of tour of America, right. just driving around. And we were in a, in a red or orangey coloured, it was the most famous rent a car brand in America at the time. And I, now that's something I can't remember, but it'll come to me. Yep. So we just connected an iron bar to the front of the rider truck with all the gear in it. We, we drove around America looking at a rider, a, the back of our end of a rider truck. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Yeah. But uh, we ended up in the Canadian border, you know, quite naive. And it was getting on to autumn into early winter. And we've got, some of us have got shorts and jeans. We got out and it's like minus 20 or something. <laughs> on, and it's a blizzard on the Canadian border. Yeah. And all these Americans are looking at us going, where are you from? <laughs> but anyway, we got in there and we played this concert and it was and it was Rush. Mm. And tr- there was these, all they were all three-piece bands from Canada, I think. Triumph, Trooper, Rush. And I think Ted Nugent was on that bill and we were too. Right. And... Um, so that that was really good. That was really good to be able to see all those bands and how they did and what they were doing. And we weren't too bad compared to them. You know, Kevin's did, a fantastic guitar player. Did you, you know? did you share a, a photo on your Facebook? Was there a photo on your Facebook? Because there's a photo of you playing bass and there's this big double bass drum kit behind you. Was that, yeah. was that that? Was that? That's, that's was John that? Annis, yeah. Ah, oh, right, okay. Yeah, Johnny, he's, yeah. he's a, he was really... Uh, I don't think he plays much anymore. But was that the, his drum he, kit, or was that Neil? Yeah, was that Neil? Oh, yeah. right. I was going to say, was that Neil Pert's no. drum kit? Yeah. Oh, um, well, Johnny always had a double bass. Drum oh, okay. Well, kit. Okay. And uh, he had a Tama kit. Okay. And, yeah, that, um, I think that's what it was. It was just phenomenally gifted. But okay. you know, he spent he probably spent most of his youth practicing in the shed. Yep. You know, you don't get that good by just taking a pill. And he was truly world. He could, he could have gone to America and played in any of those bands. Okay, just like incredible, you know. And so that was good for me because I was nowhere near as skilled as he was musically. And I learned I learned a lot from just kind of watching him, and and I, I learned how to to fit in. And because I wasn't playing all the time, it actually worked because then the drums drove that band and I simply supported it right. in the bottom end. Yeah, yeah. So it was a good lesson in um, in, uh, in, 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 in in not overplaying. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, which was important. Yep. So just going back, so you've got, you've got your, um, you know, you're done with the, with the sort of roadie thing and you're, you've got your bass. Yep. Yep. So what what was the next sort of step from there? Well, um, played in a few sort of they weren't really bands. I just guys would get together and play at a, a birthday parties. I mean, and the guitar player would just call out songs. Yep. It all all the usual stuff. Johnny be good and all that you know stuff, which is good to good to play. But then um, uh, once I got my hands warmed up, it sort of moved ahead. And the first band, like a band that I ever joined had Richard Harvey, the Divinals drummer, myself, 
a guy called Warren Collitz on guitar and vocals and a sax player called Tim Martin, who was older than us and had been through the Melbourne scene. He was actually quite a, a well-known sax player. So we had this kind of like soul band, like this stack soul band, and, we, and I, I bought a new Fender Precision with flat wound strings and it was like really like almost impossibly hard to play. And, I, uh, and like Tim set it up for me, you know. Tim Tim would play with strings like like this thick, yeah. you know. Yep. And I said, Tim, I can't even press them on the frets. <laughs> and so he said, oh, get a lighter gauge, you know. Yeah. So, so that band sort of did its round. But um, we played... We just sort of mucked around at parties, but the first proper gig we ever got booked for and played was at French's Wine Bar in Sydney. And I learned a great lesson. And when I did some lectures for the government on on the rock music industry for theatres full of kids, um, I said, there's a golden lesson that you must promise me that you'll keep that keep in your memory. And that is never wear white jeans on your first gig. <laughs> Do go on. <laughs> and I, I, I look at them, and they look at me, and they, and then eventually, some someone would go, uh, "Paul, um, why is that?" And I said, "Because at French's wine bar, with the Divinals drummer, before he became the Divinals drummer, uh, we played this show." And I was so nervous that I had a bit of a, a bowel mishap because I was so terrified. <laughs> and I said, if it had been a normal pair of jeans, it would have been okay. But yeah. with white jeans, it was like, you know, a flag waving in the breeze. <laughs> and and, and the, all the kids would be like killing themselves laughing. <laughs> and I said, so, so tell all your friends, never wear white jeans on your first skin. <laughs> So, you know, and then I think there was, we did that first series of lectures at the Powerhouse Museum, I think, at the Powerhouse. Mm. And there's hundreds of kids in there. It was like the state government funded it. I mean, five or 600 kids, I think. It's just hundreds of kids. And they were all screaming with laughter and clapping and applauding. And I thought, it's a shame I didn't keep those white jeans. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, might be in so the, that, it might be in 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 the case with your um your number zero zero one mate fretless bass. Yeah, it's, really. Yeah, yeah, sitting. It's in, it's around somewhere. That bass yeah. is somewhere. You know. You know. You know it, what? You know what? I think it's probably unlikely that you will ever see that. You know, like well, when when you said it was number zero zero one one, yeah, that's like you know, yeah. it's surely collectors. James Black thinks that there's this. Mysterious guy, mm. he's, I think he's Russian, and James Black thinks he might uh, have um, connections, and uh, <laughs> and he he he's got a he bought a he bought a studio. I don't, I don't know, it's a rehearsal studio or a recording studio. Mm. And James said he, he, that he sure that he saw it hanging on the wall. Oh wow! So it's travelled around. It's probably gone. It's probably gone through. I don't know what five six owners since I sold it. Stupid me, but uh, I got one of them back. Three hundred three. It's that's sitting good. here right next to me. That's good. And uh, um, but a friend of mine, uh, Roger, 
he's got a number one. So Maiden actually made three zero zero ones. Oh right, fretless fretless bases, but they were all configured differently. Uh, okay, right. So there was three prototypes called one, and uh, I got one of them, which was the best one. Yeah. Um, and the other two, Rogers, Roger just sold one of them, and I don't know where the other one is. It's, but my fretless could it could just be sitting in a rack somewhere in someone's collection, and mm. but it, but it, next time I go to Melbourne, I'm going to go to that studio and see if it's hanging on the wall. You know. So have you looked? Have you gone to look through? I know you said you looked on the like the Maiden Facebook page. Have you just tried to look in some of the other bass player pages, like search through some of those? Well, not groups? really. Um, the guy that the chap that put on the Maiden that, that that put his Maiden collection at the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney. Yep. Uh, that was really successful and beautifully done. I actually contacted him, mm-hmm. and he said he. He he had heard of, of fretless, of more than one fretless number ones, mm. and that he'd keep his eyes out for me. Yeah, keep right. his eyes open. You know, I, I wrote him a nice letter and I sent him a couple of tracks so he could listen to it. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Mm. You hope you find it, man. Yeah, it'd be fun to get. It, make, it. it makes me uh, want to start looking for it. <laughs> I, I feel connected. <laughs> so in the meantime, my friend and guitar guy. Well, bass guy Frank Grabeza, who's who's a brilliant sort of luthier. He's been he's just a fantastic guy with making guitars. So he had these uh, two pieces of timber that he used to keep telling me about. And so the body of this bass is the very last piece of American swamp ash, which you can't get anymore. Mm. And he bought a he bought a container load of it for peanuts in the eighties. And so he had one piece left that was his pinboard in the in his workshop. And so it became this body. Oh wow. So that's that's my current fretless. Right. So that's the body. Yep. And he and he just he painted it black and it's got uh, a very a late 70s Damasio pickup and a back pickup. Yep. Is made by a friend of mine in America who makes Chub tone pickups. Right. So, so Frank made the body, yep. and then he made the neck. Yep. The neck's beautiful. It's like an it's like an early sixties Fender neck. How it feels. Yep. And then, and there is the yeah, appropriate right. right early late early sixties logo. Right. And when I use a hip shot tuner, I'm always on the E. Yeah. And so this one's like said. Yeah, yeah. So that's chemistry. Yeah, you know? nice. Yes, yeah, so. that does all that stuff. Yeah, nice. So, um, so this was a because Frank and I are very good friends, and I've you know I've I've given him pickups over the years and stuff. We just have this you know we trade off and help each other. So it didn't cost it didn't cost a fortune to actually have this hand built. Yep. So it didn't come out of it. It's not a body that was put on a lathe on a production line. He actually cut it all by hand. Yep. And and the neck feels very good. Uh, but we're going to change the pickups. Yep. My my guy in America who I met years ago online, who makes chub tone pickups, which became sort of internationally cult 
famous and everyone wanted these those pickups and uh, but then he stopped making them and he, he tracked down all the ladies that used to work at Fender, the ones that were still alive in the in the 60s in the late 50s and he, and he went and talked to them and uh, and he learned all about it and say so I sent him a photo of, of, of the this fretless and he I said so I guess I'm going to be coming to you with a pickup order and he says oh yeah okay so I just sort of let that thought settle in my mind and then six weeks later this box arrived and it's got like Eight or nine combinations of, of pickups yeah. to go into the base. Wow, he's, he's such a beautiful guy, yeah, you yeah, know. Because, yeah. but he and I share the same, the same. It's not an illness; it's a malady. We have a, we both share the same skin issue mm-hmm. called psoriasis. Mm-hmm. We both have that that's that that where we get sort of welts and sores and they're not sores but rough skin and stuff. Yep. So we have this bond. So you know. And uh, but he just we'd uh, so Frank made the body that the pickups come from America and and it's it's sort of a great story and and it works okay and it doesn't look too bad either it you know, it's nice. like yeah it's kind of like Clapton's guitar isn't it isn't it blacky black and white yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and there's a fretless look at yeah. it it's a beautiful it's a, that's a, a beautiful piece of African ebony which it doesn't exist anymore you can't get it wow so I won't sell it. Yeah, I was going to say, don't sell that one, PC. No, I'll keep this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, Very nice, mate. Very that, nice. that was lucky. And it's got a great story. It's got like two or three. Hang on one sec. I'll just put it back in its case. Yeah, yeah. There, there we go. It's got two or three different sort of people that have sort of put a lot into it. So yep. I just it, it's still young and I need to do some need to do some more work to get it sounding like the maiden, which is a big ask. Yeah. But I think we will. It's just mind over matter and determination. That's that's cool, man. So that's a good story. It is a cool and, story. Uh, um, and my mate and base, I call it it's serial number three hundred three. So I call it three hundred three. Call it three hundred three. That's a good story. Yep. And then I've got. Uh, I'll show you this other one just quickly. This is this is a great base, and uh, you know it's kind of got a funny. It's got bits and pieces of stories attached to it and stuff, but. Um, it's uh, what have you said? Hang on, there we go. So, this one here, this is an old girl, and it's one of the when Fender only had the maple neck and and the two tone body. Yep. And, and that, and I don't know when it'll pick it up, but you can see the see a little bit of wear in the neck. Yeah, I can, I can see it. Look at it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And this is very nice. Know, way back, this one. Yep. That's a pity. And so it's what, got, what year is that? Fifty-seven. Uh, wow. wow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's really strong. It, it's like yeah. it's like stainless steel. Is it heavy? No, no? it's actually really. It's, it's much lighter than the fretless. Right. Right. And it's, I've got flat wounds on it, so it's a little bit harder to play. Yeah. So I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to learn how to be in Curtis Mayfield's band at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, all that sort of stuff, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's a workout. Yeah. But that's a that's a great sounding bass. Um, this 
this sounds, that place sounds uncontrollably like just massive. Yep. It's like tanks rolling into Warsaw, yep. you know, yep. when you play it with a pick. Okay. It, it's people just turn around and go, what? I remember I played it, I did six shows, or no, four shows with Thorpey once when he, he couldn't find a bass player. And I said, well, I said, you're not having much luck. I don't know any of your songs, but I love you to death. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, but I played it in that band and uh, and the guys were kind of looking around going, saying, Jesus, that sounds good, that thing. It's just, it sounds like um, kind of got an industrial brutality about it. Yeah. Where it's, it's like a ball peen hammer hitting stainless steel <laughs> with a pick. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> Oh, it's brutal. That's yeah. awesome. But the fretless is great. I, 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 I'm thinking I, I will be able to, like, play it sufficiently to wear it in so that it it, it softens up, you know. Okay. It does, it does sound a little bit like a new bass at the moment. Okay. But it's a new bass. You know? mm. But he did a beautiful job. Yep. You know, it's all handmade. You know? Yep, yep. Very cool. With a, with a Fender sticker on it. Yeah, of course. Because... <laughs> Well, you know, I just look at it as a I'm doing a little bit of PR yeah. for Fender. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they'll probably send the lawyers out to get me. You know, it. knows, yeah. It's either the lawyers yeah. or an endorsement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. And so so we lost Alan Lancaster. And um, I had been not following his health, but I would ring his wife, Dale, who I'd become friends with during his time in the party boys, just check in because she was upset and Alan was very, very ill. And then um, a friend of hers in Perth said that Alan had finally um, passed, you know, uh, passed away. And so I, uh, I rang her and had a few words and stuff. But, uh, but I wrote this post about Alan and uh, I realised that he was, actually one of the really great pick-using pick bass players. Mm. And because when he was in the Party Boys with the two drums, he, he you know, we all, all three of us, all, we all steered each other. And the other drummer, I was playing drums then. Yeah, yeah. And, then the, the, and the other drummer was Richard from the, <laughs> the Vinyls, who I did my first ever show in white jeans. In white jeans, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was the guy yeah. next to me. Yeah. So there's him and me and Alan kind of in the middle. And he played a Travis Bean with an aluminum neck and a pick. Oh, I swear to God. It was, oh, hang on. It was just the most astonishingly fantastic sound. And uh, that was a really, really great band. That was a, a sort of a kind of pioneering cop, this band. Yeah. And uh, Brewster was playing fantastic rhythm guitar. Yep. And Boris was doing great lead guitar. Swanee was like out there doing his thing, you know, pretty well most of the time, you know. And uh, I'm just going to plug the power in. Yeah, you're okay, good. There we go. Yeah. And the great thing was that we we were actually, because Swanee's Scottish, um, we were, uh, here we go, we were actually in, in, invited by, as I understand it, by ACDC to do that. Um, I think it was the blow up your video tour in 80, 88. Yeah. 
And um, so we did this tour around Australia and all these big places and, and they gave us everything, all the lights and all the sound systems, whereas normally yeah. I think ACDC is kind of known for not not giving kind of everything away to the yeah. support band. Yeah. We got everything and they were really nice to us and uh, um, spent quite a, quite a bit of time with Cliff, bass player, and, yeah. and we never saw, never really saw Angus and Malcolm. They just, they just run off stage and just retreat. To mm. where I don't know. Back to the hotel rooms, mm. but um, uh, the drummer was was great fun. The British guy, it wasn't Phil, and it was a really, really a very good thing for us to do because we we were. Oh, hang on, freaking! I'm just this thing's trying to keep sending right. an email. That's not doing it. Yeah, okay. And uh, so you know, it was a really. Uh, there, I was really grateful for that because. We, you know, the, the Sydney Entertainment Centre was packed. Yeah. And, and we did have a number one single at that time and we, and we walked out on stage and people were all screaming and, and, and I'm sure ACDC must have thought. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Gee. <laughs> then that note, note goes out the front of house. No, they're not having a hundred percent. Drop them down to sixty. Give them sixty <laughs> percent. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they didn't do any of that, and they were really kind. And uh, we didn't really socialise with them much. Um, okay. The bass player was quite affable. Yeah. Um, and uh, we did all these great shows, you know, packed out. And, yep. and I, I conned some friends of mine at the ABC to bring a thirty-five mil camera, and they they got a pass and. Uh, and this guy filmed our set in 35 millimeter color, and I've got it on VHS. But I, I, I'm, uh, I never thought to, to chase up where that original film might mm. be. I might be able to find. I probably if I put it up on Facebook, someone would know someone that knows someone. Yeah, you know? yeah. But I'd like, I'd, I'd like to get that if I could. It's funny when when you're out touring and, and you're busy all the time. You kind of forget to save things and mm. put things away for posterity and for the, you know, for the for, for history or whatever it might be. You're probably and not. You're not even thinking that at the time, though. No, at no. all, because it's never going to end in your head. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this is going That's on forever. So true. Yeah. You think it's never going to end. That's and, it. Uh, and that did end, you know, because okay. we we released a second single. Which which kind of worked okay, nowhere near as big as he's going to step on you again. Yep. Which Glenn Baker came up with for me. Okay, and uh, and I just spoke to him this week. I asked him if he could find another song for for what, what that could be potentially recorded by the Party Boys with John Swan singing. Mm. And so well, I'll see what he comes back with, you know, because he, he got it right that time, I tell you. Yeah. And there were the two other bands had released that song, which is a, a, by a, a South African guy called John Congos, and it's an, it's an apartheid protest song. That's what it is. Right. That's why it was successful in South Australia. But it just had that jungle beat, and John and Alan recorded that song in Alan's um, small studio, and it sounded big. It yeah. sounded great. They did a great job, you know. Yep. Uh, and so um, that, and there were two other bands released it. Yeah, the, the Exploding White Mice from Adelaide and the Shampoozies also released that song at the same time. 
and they didn't really know that either of them were doing it or us. So right. it all just happened at once. Right. And then I think Michael Gadinsky, bless his heart, mm. and I, I, I really think it's great that he did this. He he put out the word that at every launch we did in Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne, or wherever it might be, that he had his he had guys uh, hand build every car within hundreds of metres of where <laughs> the launch was <laughs> advertising <laughs> the Chantuzzi's new single, he's going to step on you again. And I thought, <laughs> I just laughed. I thought, that's great. That's helping us. Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> but I think it stayed at number one for about a month. Yeah. Uh, it was four weeks, I think it was. And uh, we just toured and it was like, oh, this, trying to send an email and it won't do it. It's okay. um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just. So, we just so what, and do it and do what's, it. What's, what's that feeling like, having a number one song? Did you have any expectation as to? No. Okay. Um, it, it was just a, a series of great circumstances because we were playing in Adelaide and Swanee had a mate that worked at West End Brewing and he came, Andy Bell, that's right, and he came along and he was the kind of promotions manager for, sort of PR guy for West End beer. And so we started talking and I said, uh, Andy, I said, I've got an idea. We're going to record a single. And I said, I need some funding. And I think what we could do is we could put the West End brand on the actual single cover and also stamp it on the actual 45. And he said, Bloody hell. I said, so if it's sold 100,000 copies, <laughs> you're getting to the right audience, yeah. beer drinkers, yeah. and they think, where's Dan? Oh, we're going to buy some of that. You know, right? And I said, that's my, you know, I thought long and hard about this, as you can tell. <laughs> he just laughed. He said, I think it's a great idea. And he said, so how much do you reckon you need? I said, 10 grand. And he said, okay, let's do it. And it was, it was that was it. So I got back to Sydney. I said, Andy, we're ready to go. He said, so, I think I even took a check back with me. I put it in the bank. Mm. That's right. It happened really quickly. And then I, 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 I rang him and I said, Andy, he goes, yeah, PC. How's that record going? Oh, I, said, I said, Andy, I think it's going to go to number one. It's currently number four. I mm. said, so you are going to have the number one the number one record with your beer stamped on it. And, he goes, <laughs> and I said, we're doing all these launches. And he says, give me the addresses. And these semi-trailers turned up. Wow. I, I swear. Yeah. Semi-trailers. Yeah, yeah. And we did a launch at the Siebel Townhouse and there was so much booze in the room, there was hardly enough room <laughs> for the people. And I, I said, take some home, you yeah. know. And so we did a couple of these launches and suddenly the, the word spread like wildfire. They're the, they're the most, we're going to go to the Party Boys launch <laughs> because we can take home slabs of beer. <laughs> <laughs> but all of you know, the, the press and, and the Goodwill were journos and just record company people and our friends was just was beyond the pile. It was unbelievable, you know. And, and so the whole the whole history of when Alan and John and Swanee, and all, we all joined together, it was all this, 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 this rolling sort of circus and it just kept kicking goals. And then... We toured so much, like it was always, literally always five or six nights a week for months and months and months. And we just got used to doing it. And then it all got a bit much and Swanee got a bit ill 
And I said, right, I, uh, I said to Raj, we just got to get this off the road. Swanee's sort of got, got to go and rest. I said, it's going to kill him otherwise. It's just, it's just too hard. Mm. And uh, so we did that and then recorded follow-up singles and then it kind of, that lineup had its day that, and then it just sort of, just sort of just went its way, you know. It's, it's, as someone, wise person once said to me, he said, it's just the nature of things. That's how it works. There's nothing you can do about it. So we did. And then after that, so that was just, uh, 1988, 1989. And then, and then shortly after that, I, I, um, I spoke with Sam Reggie and we managed to get Eric Burden from the animals to mm. sing. And that was a whole different world again because he was like blues and yeah. R&B soul. And I had Mel Lagan on keyboards and Mel Eastick, all the right guys. And Eric was kind of unhappy when he got <laughs> You wouldn't call him the most cheery guy. <laughs> but then we, he became great friends with Mel Lagan and then, and then he started having a really great time. And I'll never forget... We played a pyramidal leagues club to like, I don't know, 2,000 people or something. It was packed, yep. massive. Yep. And uh, Glenn Baker was there again and he just said that was one of the great, great all-time Eric Burden kind of hybrid shows and people went nuts. And, and Eric finished and he, he was kind of happy. And uh, we bade him farewell and mm. he went home and I've, I've sort of never ever heard from him. You know? oh, right. But not that I need to, but it was just a great thing to do. And we drove from Adelaide to Cairns just doing gigs all along, oh. right up to Cairns. And then I think we flew back from Cairns. I think even the Tarago refused to refused <laughs> to start. <laughs> it just wouldn't had go anywhere. Had enough. Had um, had enough. Is Eric Burden still alive? He is. He is, okay. And he's, and he's looking pretty good. Okay. Because he, he's dabbled a bit with acting and I always thought that, he had the strength of character to be able to do that. Because okay. he'd walk out on the stage and he'd just go, you know, mm. and it was, he was tough. He came from a tough background. Mm. And he was, a, you know, he yeah, he wasn't a fairy floss guy. And so, but I know he's still alive, yeah, because I, I did out of curiosity check and he and he still looks pretty good. Mm. And um, he's probably looking after himself a lot better. He told us the most extraordinary stories about his friendship with Jimi Hendrix. Like he, he, he said, you know, most the stories were just, um, you know, bordering on, on just hilarity, but but unbelievability. <laughs> you couldn't believe what Jimmy would do. Yeah. And and Eric said that there's this one party in Hollywood where he Jimmy he believed Jimmy had taken so much acid and something else that he said he actually had this phosphorescent glow during like this, going like this around his his body and his persona. You know, and he was like, but he said it didn't matter whether Jimmy was like that or straight. He still spoke and acted and smiled and was the same Jimmy. But wow. in, in the end, it got him. You know, yeah, yeah, he, sure. he he took too much. You know, it's great show. Yeah. But so Eric was Eric told great stories. He 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 had worked with so many different people and stories about this and that and everything else and. Um, I've got this photo of him uh, where we crossed over a mountain range in the in the snowfields, and Mal Logan took him on um, this this mini railroad track. 
<laughs> Bell Lager's on the front with, with the Casey Jones cap <laughs> and Eric's sitting behind him and they're going around and around and around, around in circles in the train. And I still looked at Eric and I thought, he's really having, he's really enjoying this. And I said to Mel, keep going, keep going. And I've got <laughs> photos of, of, of that. You know, he's, he's, he's this guy, you know, Hendrix's mate and stuff, he's just going around and around in circles on this on this big model railway somewhere in the back of the snowfields and yeah, it was just just simple stuff that you'd never expected that made it very entertaining. Uh, but it was, it, you know, it was a lot of hard work. We travelled and, and yeah. boy, I was worn out after that. <clears throat> I was just worn out. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, of recent times with the Party Boys, which we're kind of focusing on, yeah. um, I had a lineup with the help of David Lowy, who plays guitar, as you know, in, that, in his own metal. So I think it's a metal band, isn't it? Not, um, not metal. Hardcore rock band. Uh, hard rock. Uh, Dead Daisies. Dead Daisies, yeah. that's it. That's the one. Yeah. So he's always wanted to play in the Party Boys. And right. I said, okay. So he said, okay. So he said, look, he said, I've got a couple of guys on permanent retainer. So um, I, 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 I think I can remember who it was. So, so we were going to use ACDC's drummer, Simon, the English Fella, Simon Wright. Me, yeah, Simon Wright. Yep. And uh, I would play some of the bass. We would get Glenn Hughes to play bass oh, for some of the tracks and sing because yep. he's when he sings, it is something else. Mind-boggling. Yeah. So then he got Izzy and Dizzy from Guns N' Roses guitar and keyboards. Yep. So we had two Guns N' Roses, ACDC drummer, Deep Purple. Bass player singer, me and David Lowy was going to play rhythm guitar, and I reckon that would have put bums on seats. Oh, yes, you know, and we were going to we were going to put it into um, outdoor shows, like book a book a spot uh, for sufficient money to pay for all the wages, and and, yep. and 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 David David was going to use his plane and and fly it and fly the entourage everywhere. Yep. He had a I don't know he had I don't know it's a Twelve seat jet, or this is a smallish jet, but he was going to use the, his own plane to fly around, mm. and uh, and and it was already ready, set, go. And we pushed the button, and then um, David rang me and he said, "Oh, sent me a message." He said, oh, "He says you're not going to believe it. Guns and Roses management want to start their American tour <laughs> two weeks earlier, uh. and that in that two weeks is when we were going to do our stuff oh. and before." So we lost we lost that lineup, but that would have been yeah. a great lineup. Yeah. I mean, the poster, yeah. AC, DC, Guns and Roses, Deep Purple, it just would have been just too good to believe. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but there's nothing to stop something like that happening again. But uh, we'd have to wait till you know the outcome, the international out- outcome and fallout sure. of the virus. Yep. See what see what happens. You know. Yep. So where yeah. what was the what was the what's been the last what was the last Party Boys gig that you played? Um, gee, that's a good question. There, oh, post post the lineup that had the number one, which was um, Swanee and and Alan and that lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a few sort of different things with different people. I I, I always like playing with Dave Leslie. Yep, and we we did a couple of hybrid shows, not tours, just shows and stuff. And we did some like some corporate shows and 
events and stuff. Um, but truthfully, I, I can't remember exactly who was in the last lineups or the last lineups. Yep. I think Barton, Barton Price played some, played some shows, I think. Or maybe he didn't, I don't know. But um, but it it was 10 years that, that as I was managing it as well and yep. pulling it all together and, and dealing with personalities, it, it was it was just utterly exhausting. And and some of it was was sort of in some ways really quite depressing. Yeah. <laughs> dealing with with people's sort of misunderstandings of of the reality of their positions in in the grand scheme of things, you know. I understand. And yeah. and I was like constantly trying to you know, pull this person back in, and I was just like, oh, no. yeah. I just got I got very exhausted by it. Yeah. And and uh, so there was a few things that happened after the Eric Burden tour. Uh, we did spot things, but I have no recollection of it because I was kind of. I was just going through the motions at that point. Okay. You know, yeah. But, um, you know, I'm, I, if I could get the right people and get a couple of overseas people involved, you know, I would love to do it because it is just so much fun, you know, because it, it's, it's, um, it's unregulated. That's the word. Right. You know, we're not, we don't have to do certain things to appease a record label or to support records. We can go out and, do it. I know. That's. I remember what I forgot. <laughs> Good. <laughs> that is. That is. That um, after the second tour with Joe Walsh, because yep. he, he came out in '84 and then he came back because he loved it so much. He stayed here for a year the first time. Yeah. Was that playing, so? You know? That first time he was here was that the that's the other live out the live yeah, album. You, you yeah. need professional help. You need yeah. professional help. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was listening to that and, today, and it sounds pretty good. It does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he was he was terrified about that record because he he thought it must have because he was having a wild time and he thought it must have sounded dreadful and and oh, like made him he sounded pre- when, he sounded pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, but when he every time that the Eagles tour, he he, he and his wife and Smokey, the, the, his minder, come up and visit, yep. and so we're having a barbecue and I said, "Hey, Joe, come inside," and I said, so I put the CD in and I showed him the cover. And he's going, oh, and uh, <laughs> it started with Life in the Fast Lane. Yeah. Um, uh, no, um, that's the second song, isn't it? That's the second track, yeah. 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 Um, and I played him two songs and he sort of sat up straight and he was smiling and he went, oh, wow. <laughs> he, said, he said, that's in the pocket. Yeah. I, go, yeah. I told you all, yeah. all along, I told you. Yeah. I said, the drummer's the king. Yeah. And he said, well, that's true because Joe, Took Richard from the Divinals, who I played my first gig in white jeans with. Yep. Um, he took him from Australia after the Party Boys tour and put him in his Joe Walsh band in America. Is that right? Yeah, and he toured oh, around wow. America for like months and months and months, maybe a year or something. Oh, fantastic! That's that's how that's how much Joe thought of Richard, and I I've told everyone I've ever you know had discussions with that Richard is one of the best white field drummers in the world. He has he has this innate ability. He can just sit there and do the you know so drummers can do that. When yeah. Richard does it, people start dancing. Yeah, gotcha. And there's just no difference in what he's actually doing. Mm. And um, when the Divinals recorded that album in New York, I uh, can't remember which one it was, but um, 
Bob Clearmountain, I think, was engineering it or co-producing it with, I can't remember the producer, some famous guy, English guy. Yeah, it'll come to me in a sec. Produced a lot of big hits. And so Bob Clearmountain uh, said to the producer and to the Divinals manager, and, and, and he pointed to Richard and he says, see that guy there? He is one of the best white field drummers in the world. He says, how do I know? Because I've recorded every one of them. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And Bob Clearman had done that. Like all those, like Simon Phillips and yeah. all those in- incredible guys, yeah. he's recorded them. And he said, Richard's in that league. He's in that club. One of the best white field drummers in the world. And uh, um, But that conversation was never relayed on to Richard Mm. by the the band's then manager because he thought that he'd try and leverage more money. Okay, gotcha. (laughs) And it wasn't wasn't until years later that he actually found that out. Right. You know, and Bob Clearman, as I say, he he is right to this day, he is right. Yeah, and Richard Richard just starts playing like this, and everyone just starts moving. You know, he's just got this gift. It's it's extraordinary, really. Yeah. And you know, not, not not many people have it. You know, there's, there's a bunch of American drummers and British session drummers that have got it, but it's it's a, a rare, rare gift. You know, where's he now? Where's Richard Harvey now? Well, he's. After the Divinal, I think the Divinals wore him out a bit mm. and he actually went and worked at uh, a council, um, not Maryville Council, he works uh, South Sydney Council or something. Mm. And uh, he became a compliance officer in the council. And, uh, and so he just played sporadically part-time and I put him in my band, The Big Daddies, which started in '98. And that was like a, a, a sort of a junior party boys, but we just kept changing the lineups. And it was a great band, fantastic band. And uh, so he he hasn't really played a lot since the Divinals, mm. but he bought himself two kits and he's re- restored one and he's gone into a rehearsal session. And uh, he plays with a mate in a band now called the K-Tells. <laughs> and he wants... He wants me to come and play in the K-Tells with him, right. which, I, which I will do yeah. because it'll be enormous fun and we'll be playing these these grooves. You know, Richard just starts playing and people just start moving. Yeah, right. Whereas other people start playing and it sounds like someone building a shed. <laughs> and he just it's just he just exudes this thing. Right. People grapple onto it and they're like, oh, yeah, dancing. And you listen to the Divinals recordings and, no, no wonder they were successful. Mark's a great guitar player. Rick was playing great. Drums sound good. Keyboards, oh, you know, they're really great records. They're really good records. You know. So he's my favourite. He's the first drummer I ever played with. Mm. And, and, you know, as we get much older and we're having people help us in with our equipment, <laughs> might, <laughs> might, might very well be the last the last <laughs> drummer I ever play with. You know, mm. who knows? Mm. You know. Can you tell us the story about Stevie Ray Vaughan agreeing to join the Party Boys? After the Joe Walsh tour, 
um, after the first one, um, I thought about who else in America. And I thought, oh, Stevie Ray, be the natural progression to play with Kevin and Mal, and Mal Logan on Hammond B3 mm. and Richard on drums and me. So this is, that would be four piece. So Stevie Ray, Kevin, Mal Logan, no, five piece, yeah, two guitars and, and organ. Mm. So uh, what happened was uh, we released the Joe Walsh album through CBS mm. and at that stage um, Stevie Ray was signed to CBS, so so that was before the Party Boys' big hit album. That's right. I went to, uh, is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. That's right. Walsh was here in '84. Party Boys' big record was '87. So he he was out here touring, and I asked Dennis Hanlon and the Sony Boys. I said, "Could you um, set up a meeting with me and Stevie Ray? Because I want to." invite him to come and play here in an environment um, away from his own, you know. Mm. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So they did it and, and the secretary from Sony says, okay, so you can meet. Steve, we booked a meeting um, in the in the boardroom, in the smaller boardroom, you and Stevie, and it's, I think it was uh, around about midday or something, at this date. And I went, beauty. I was, like, really excited. And so, so so I, I, I ponced up there with, 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 the, uh, with the album with Joe to show him that we'd actually had Walsh, Walsh had survived it and, <laughs> and that we, and we'd helped him and he, and he yeah. got his health back together. And, yep, yep. and without throwing any sort of, you know, hints at, at Stevie about his lifestyle, that wasn't my, um, wasn't my plan at all. Yep, yep. So anyway, so I sat down with him and I said, I said, uh, Stevie, I said, he said, oh, he said, Oh, you know, in a southern accent, I'm lying. You know, he said, so So you you guys, you had Walsh in your band? Okay. Yeah, he was great. <laughs> we all got on really well. And uh, he said, well, I guess you could put up with anything then, couldn't you? And I said, <laughs> I said, no, he was great. He really was. He, 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 he was really reveling and, and loving being here away from the pressure of America. You know? mm. So I said, look. We've got this fantastic guitar player who you'll like to play with like your, like your brother, you know, and we've got this really great R&B swinging B3 player, the best field drummer, according to Bob Clearman, one of the best white field drummers in the world, and me, and I play bass. And I said, you know, I won't disappoint you. And I said, so we, we just play anything we want and it's, there's no pressure there's no stadiums, but it's a glorious feeling and everyone really sort of, you know, links in and has a great time. And I reckon if we could, if, if, if Joe Walsh um, survived, uh, survived, you know, the journey and he, he left feeling much better, then I'm sure you're going to have an equally as good a time. And he said, okay, <laughs> that was it. And, I, and he said, so when? And I said, well, that's up to you. Have, you. have you got a big touring schedule to go home to? And he goes, he says, no, I've just got this charity gig and, and this something. I think that's what he said because I know he, he went back home and pretty much soon after he arrived back in America, he went to do that, that show in the, in the, in the, in the, in the ski mountains um, and that's when Eric Clapton said, 
he said, look, I'm going to stay over. You can have my seat on the helicopter if you want to go home. Yeah. And, that, and then yep. it crashed. Yep. So that, and when that happened, I was like, oh, I was just shattered. For, 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 not for me, but for him. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And, uh, but he, he, after we had this long talk and we talked about how much I loved um, Hal and Wolf and, and all, and I just, you know, spoke all the right um, language to him. And I said, I said, there's a great story about Hal and Wolf recording with the Rolling Stones. And, and you know, the word on the street to this day is that he absolutely terrified them because <laughs> Hal <laughs> and Wolf's so big. Yeah. And, and if not, if something's not going right, he's a swigger, it just swig the whiskey out of the bottle and start <laughs> growling at them. <laughs> no, like, but eventually that recording was pretty good. You yeah. know? So we had a laugh about all that. And then, uh, yeah, then he went home and we were kept in touch. And then I oh, noticed, like, and I sent a message, or I can't remember how I tried to get in contact with him and uh, phone call. And then, uh, and then shortly after that news came through, and I thought, oh, bugger. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but it was terrific meeting him. Yeah. And it was terrific having him accept the situation. On basically blind faith trust, you know, and but I think everyone and everyone at CBS would say, was saying these guys were seriously on fire with Joe Walsh, and you know they've they've had all these great Australian singers, and and uh, you're going to have a good time, and you'll be well looked after, yeah. and you can just have a rest from what you're normally doing, yeah, because you want to you want to think about anything or do anything, else someone will say just sit here, Stevie, and off we go. <laughs> would you like a drink? You know. <laughs> We'll just be we'll just be talking about the blues and having fun. Yeah. So I was disappointed because I thought that would have been just another great episode in a in a in a really quite uh, fairy tale journey of that band. Right. You know. Yep. It just did it just did a lot of stuff that was unconventional and and uh, it wasn't rubbish. People actually really liked it. Yeah. You know? Uh, the, another great thing that we did was um, the Turn Back the Tide concert uh, on Bondi Beach, that, that big show. You know, I think it was like 100,000 people. I've got a photo of it. it. It's just some staggering amount of people. And, and, and we did that with, with Mark Hunter and Joe Walsh and uh, this Black Soul Brother drummer, Kelvin. Yeah, Kelvin, and, Brother Kelvin. Yeah, yep. Brother Kelvin. Yep. He played drums. I don't know how, somehow he got in there. And Boric and me and, and Joe Walsh, and, and it was really great. Uh, it, it, we did really well, and I was really happy to have taken part in that. So that was a good thing. And then uh, that's sort of where it got up to. The, the, latest, the, the latest sort of uh, thoughts for the Party Boys was, was the lineup with, with uh, David Lowy and... Yep. The Deep Purple guys and, and the Guns N' Roses guys and the ACDC guy and, and uh, uh, Glenn Neer singing and, and Angry was going to sing too. Right. Uh, yeah. And so it was the it was a real true, you know, heavy rock poster. Yeah, for sure. You know, Roses, ACDC, Deep Purple, Guns N' Roses, and uh, Monday Rock. <laughs> I should say X Air Supply. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you play? Yeah. Did you play for Air Supply as well? 
No. Oh, right. No, but, but, <laughs> but my, my mate, yeah. uh, Jeremy, Jeremy yeah. Paul, yeah. who who I'm really, really fond of, is, is a terrific bloke. He's a really great-natured human being. Um, he was the original bass player in, in Air Supply. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I just thought, of, how, could I, how could I absolutely muck that poster up? <laughs> <laughs> and it, was, it wasn't out of malice. It was just comedy, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. You know. Is there anybody you asked to play in Party Boys that knocked you back? To tell me to fuck off. Yeah, um, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> uh, not really. Um, no, that's good. No, because I, I I wasn't asking people on like a wholesale level. Okay. I wasn't asking everybody. You know. Yep. Yep. Oh no, that's, um, that's not that's not what I meant. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, you, yeah. I'm sure you had plans, and it sounds like you did. But yeah, yeah. Any, of, any of those. People I'm trying to think of who said no. Um, uh, I never. I never thought of asking like Jimmy or either or any of those sort of people yep. or Doc. Um, there was, I, of the people I knew, I, I just knew, I knew whose personality would, would suit the environment and who, who, would, who would have the right um, sense of humour to do it. Right. And mostly I got it right. Ah, I forgot to tell you. Yeah. And this is sort of answering this question. Um, when I was in Perth with the Joe Weissliner, Joe said, come up to my room. And I go, oh, my God. And we all knew what that meant. <laughs> I mean, you know, like breakfast at seven see with in no four sleep. Da- see in four days. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> but uh, he was he was actually really good. He was so much better than, than, than what we had been told might happen. Okay. Um, and so, anyway, so he's on the phone and and he said, Oh, and he always says, oh, Paul, you know, he said, I've got a new lineup. And I thought, oh, wow, that's, that could be good. Yeah. And so he said, um, say hello to Stu. And I go, hello, this is Paul. Stu. And he goes, yeah. I said, how are you? And he goes, okay, good. And I said, I said, He's a lot of fun, isn't he, Joe? And he just laughed. <laughs> and I said, well, is it the out tour is going really well. He's playing. He's playing really great. And uh, I said, so, yeah, it's been really enjoyable for all of us. And I think he's having a good time and his health's good. You know? And uh, and he said, oh, yeah. So then he said, so I said, oh. So he said, yeah, well, he, Joe's asked me, inv- invited me into the into the next, next lineup. And I said, I said, so well, what do you do? And he said, I play drums. I said, Ah, oh, fantastic. And he said, and, we, and he said, we've got uh, and he said, and Stevie Winwood had has agreed to come and do this four-piece lineup. And I said, I said, so um, I said, so that yeah, well, that, that is that's that's starting to look like some serious four-piece band. I said, so Stu, you play drums. I said, what band are you playing? He says, Oh, he says. I play with these two English assholes and this band's called The Police. And uh, <laughs> I said, uh, am I talking to Stuart Copeland? Yeah. And I said, we've met. Remember this oh, kid God. walked up to you in the bar at the Seville Townhouse and said that all the, all the bass players in Drummond in Australia want to give you an award for the extraordinary levels of motivation you've given us. He goes, was that you? And I said, that was me. And I, and I said, so we're going to have some serious fun. I said, 
God, I said, I'm going to practice hard. And he said, I think it'll be really good because he said, Stevie's between albums. And mm. so, so that was uh, a peak moment for me above all, really. And sometimes I forget about that, that I actually spoke yeah. to Stuart Copeland and Joe had, so it was Joe Walsh, Stuart Copeland, Stevie Windward and PC. And I thought to myself, I thought, I think this is going to do really well. Mm. You know, we could probably put this out on a festival. You know? yeah. Yeah. And uh, everyone would be saying, what's he doing up there? You know? <laughs> oh, it's terrific. So anyway, that, to all intents and purposes, that was, that was going. Um, I, I went over to, to LA and I went to see Stevie Winwood with Joe. Yeah. And then... Um, and then you know, we started dates and stuff. And then it was Joe that told me that um, the that that uh, the, the police had gotten through a rough patch. They'd kissed and made up, and they were going out on tour. And of course, it cut right across the dates that we could get Stevie Winwood and Joe and me. And so the consensus was to wait for Stuart rather than get Steve Gadd or, or whoever we could get, right, you know, right. big. And so we, we, we didn't, we waited and we kept trying, but I think the police kept getting bigger and bigger and kept doing more and more international tours. Right. And then Stevie released his second album, which was huge, so we, we, we lost those guys. Lost, you yeah, know. okay. They, they had better things to do than come <laughs> to Australia and play in a pub yeah, in yeah. Peran, yeah. you know. But that would have been um, an extraordinary experience for me, uh, and I think it would have been a great, great experience for the for, for the audiences. But for me, because um, Joe was always a hero of mine when he when he played those really soft, slow, soulful songs, his solo records and Eagles songs, and, and Stuart Copeland, I would just listen to it with headphones and just my jaw would be dropped. Yep. Oh, God. And then Stevie Winwood, I mean, he was playing that uh, that famous Spencer Davis song, Give Me, Give Me, Give Me Some Love, when he was 16 years old on a Hammond organ. And I thought, you know, if I can just get, you know, 10 or 12 tour dates with this, I'll just go to the grave a happy man. (laughs) Seriously so. But that was another one that got away, you know. yeah. And and it's just the luck of the draw. I, I eventually realised it was the luck of the draw, and and I did get very lucky. And the band and the entity, not just me, but all of us, got very lucky to be able to play with each other yeah. over some great eras. And uh, so you know, I have fond memories of it, and I, I would like to do it again. I get asked about it all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I sort of listen to that. I think probably after. All this bother that, that the whole of the country's been through it would probably be if we could do a, a tour around, you know, not national, but Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, run up the coast. If we could get a great yeah. lineup together and do it, yep. it'd be a good way to it'd be a good way to celebrate. I reckon. You know? Yeah, yeah, because you still have the fans. That's for sure. That um, I I have people you know regularly messaging me on. On Facebook, telling me of the night they had at Swansea Workers or, or, or <laughs> over at WA, and yeah. 
they remember it very clearly. And, and one couple said they conceived their first child in the base <laughs> bin at, at, at this gig. <laughs> Great stories, you know. And, uh, and that was one of the better ones. Um, and I write, I write back and I said, is it a boy or a girl? And it was a boy. I said, did you call him Thumper? <laughs> So, so yeah, um, and like must you know must have been a, I don't know what hundred thousand people probably came and saw the party boys over ten years. Yeah, yeah. Would it have been you know? Yeah, we did, and um, so and then sometimes I think it sort of had its place in history, and and I, sometimes I think um, you'd have to be careful how you resurrect it yeah. so that you didn't. Destroy the legacy. The legacy, right, right. The legacy is more important than the, than. The, but I mean, if we get, it, I, I thought the lineup that David Lowy wanted to 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 perform in that hard rock lineup would have done really well. Right. Just just had great names on the poster. Yes, yeah, for us. Guns and Roses, ACDC, Deep Purple. No, no, no. People, are, you know, I think it'd be pretty much a male audience, but. Mm. Wouldn't matter. We'd be having so much fun, you know. Yeah. So that's that's that. So that's that. That's sort of roughly the wrap up from start to finish. Yeah. There's there's lots of stuff that happened, and, and you know, we had platinum records, gold records. And yeah. It's the only probably the only cover band in the history of the world. <laughs> yeah. That's had a number one. Oh, well, maybe not. Maybe in America or Europe. It's I. We just don't know. You yeah. know. But. Platinum albums and number one singles and international guests and stuff, that, that's just not the norm for cover bands, is it? Mm, not, not at all. It sort of rewrote its own, its own um, agenda. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. So its own MO. Yeah. With, a, with, with, with my sort of British based sense of humor behind it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you've done well, mate. Well, PC man, thanks so much for hanging out with me tonight and My pleasure. telling me your stories. And I, I, yeah. I, I can, I, I can see us doing this again because I, I think you've only just started. <laughs> only just well, we, started. Haven't, we haven't really talked about Mondo Rock much, have we? No, no, no. Well, at all. Oh, we, yeah, no. we, we, we talked about it at A the start. Bit. Yep. But yeah, yeah, not, not the. How about we um, come back again and do a Mondo Rock. <laughs> Do a Monday yeah. Rock episode. That'll be yeah, great. Yeah, shorter one. A, that, a shorter one. Yeah. yeah. A big hello to all your listeners, uh, and a big thank you to you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you too, Paul. You know? And uh, and uh, we're, we're we're both the men in black with these on. Yeah, that's it. We're pointing the men at, in black, pointing at our glasses. Uh, yeah. Normally, I would have a black t-shirt on, and that's very rock. But you know. nah, it's all good. There all you right, go. Paul. Thanks so much, man. Take it easy. Pleasure. Yep. Look forward to talking to you soon. Signing off. Sweet as, man. See ya. See ya. Bye.